0: Welcome to the Belonging Project Podcast. This is Fiorenza and I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to bring voices together to talk about belonging. Through inspiring real life conversations, we explore how belonging can show up in so many different ways, what it feels like to belong and the impact of truly belonging. Each episode, will offer you inspiration and practical strategies to find your true voice in your life and as a leader. Let's dive in. Hi Shidu, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited to have you here with me on the Belonging Project podcast and to talk about belonging with you.
1: Hi, Fiorenza. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I think uh, I'm also quite excited to, to go down this path. So this is one of my very first podcasts, if I can put it that way, looking at belonging. So, yes, I'm excited.
0: Amazing. Fantastic. That's a great energy to start with. <laughs>
1: All right, so maybe we
0: can start with your journey and offering a little bit about you um, to our community.
1: So, hi everybody. Yes. Yeah, so my uh, my name is um, is Do. Um, my full name Ashyomani Do, and and uh, people always say, why don't you go by your full name? And um, that in itself is very interesting because. Uh, When I started primary school, um, the headmaster thought uh, my first thing was too long to go uh, uh, on um, a a school register. So he asked my mum, do you call her anything else, the shortened form of the name? My mum said, yes, as she do. And that quickly went uh, on the register. So for those who grew up with me, call me my full name, which I I, I think I quite value now. I didn't, uh, you know, when I was younger, but I really do um, treasure the name now. So who am I? I guess... I'm a woman of many parts, if I can describe myself uh, as that. So I was born and raised in Nigeria, but spent uh, quite a lot of my childhood here in the UK uh, with my parents and came back, I think, sort of moved back to the UK fully uh, 25 years ago to do uh, a master's degree in engineering. And I think my sort of journey into being me, Um, really started uh, from there because when I look back now I realise that I got to experience so many things that I couldn't really at the time articulate but knew I was experiencing and couldn't really put a finger or or access um, any sort of more knowledgeable person who I could Share myself with and get some some guidance from. So my journey to where I am has been uh, very interesting in the main, but at times has been quite painful um, because of some you know um, experiences and, and and some some challenges which ought not to have been there but um, I think, you know, the the system is what it is, so.
0: Thank you for sharing with us. Um, I'd love to know more about your professional journey as well, if that's okay.
1: So my professional journey is um, uh, quite interesting. So I I studied engineering, so by by training, uh, I am an engineer. But engineering, I never, ever saw myself as an engineer, never. Can I just
0: interrupt? Me too, by the way.
1: (laughs) 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 Sorry, Um, I had to say that. Go on. uh, Honestly, I never, ever saw myself as one. So my dad always used to say, oh, you have to do something meaningful, you know, uh, and you can't let your education go to waste. But my uh education uh in in attempts of being uh, an engineer my training rather um i felt stifled me because i tended to come alive in in situations and environments where I needed to communicate with people, I needed to engage, you know, face to face. I was looking to solve a very human problem rather than something theoretical, if you get what I mean. So I um, sort of made up my mind to not actively seek work in engineering and try to see if I could do something else. And I ended up starting work uh, in a local authority and went on uh, to be uh, a lead uh, corporate engagement uh, staff. So I was a, a lead officer for the, the um, council's uh, engagement function. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that particular role because the neurodivergent person, you know, self part of me came alive and i could i saw myself doing lots of different things that i i really enjoyed and i i think i started to then question how can i ensure that i never get bored in a job then my you know it became clear that i needed to invest more in myself to develop myself professionally so outside of Doing the, the the sort of you know mandatory training or courses, um, to to keep my my knowledge up to to spec. I was now starting to engage with different you know groups and and community initiatives, and it was becoming clearer that um, there was so many things that as a young Black woman in in modern Britain. I was um, very naive about in terms of how my colour, my diction, you know, my association and, and things that made up me personally, how those were reflected in my everyday living and the opportunity to have or not to have access. So those were, you know, really critical moments for me to to come to the realisation that um, as a black woman my, my story wasn't always going to be based on my ability to do or not to do. That the fact that I look different would play a key and critical role in how people chose to respond and relate to me. When I got into in the corporate uh, uh, space in, in the early 2000s, people didn't talk about lived experience. So I went to work um, as a young black uh, woman, you know, um, looking always and asking myself always, how do I fit in and how can I ensure that I, I, I remain uh, uh, fitting in as opposed to. How can my employer enable me to be the very best of me? How could they help me maximise and optimise my talent, my skill, my expertise and utilise the benefit of my lived experience uh, from sort of uh, across uh, different continents and different countries? So it, 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 it was never the case. And that meant that I had to always be working to ensure that I was managing uh, my managers or managing my leaders in a way that they could effectively manage me, which was exhausting.
0: And what did that look like, effectively managing you?
1: Well, effectively managing me, I think, you know, we come to this... Issue or or question, which uh, I think when we spoke the very first time uh, around belonging and and value and, and place. So, for me to have been effectively managed, I needed to have felt like I truly belonged. And for me, I needed to feel that I was seen, I was heard, I was valued, I was appreciated. If I challenged, there was you know a genuine willingness to to stand back and look at things from my viewpoint and understand why a particular response had been elicited from me or by me on any given topic or given issue but that for me was never my experience throughout it was that i always felt i had to justify my capability and my com- my competence at every point in time so uh, i am not uh, loud and brash and angry i am very introspective in the way i approach things and very you know very quiet and then again, you sort of then see the, uh, the judgments. And at the time, I didn't get it. Um, it was only when I started trying to unpack some of the, you know, the many things I was experiencing that I started to understand that the questioning sometimes of my person or of my ability was not really because I wasn't good enough. It was that there was no understanding uh and there was a lot of insecurity attached to that so uh an example would be in in a particular place of uh, employment i had initiated you know uh, a scheme which went on to prove extremely popular and uh one of the lead managers had said to me um i allowed myself to Of to invest, you know, emotionally in things that really had nothing to do with me. But I disagreed because if I am tasked to deliver on a project, how could I give my very best if I wasn't invested in it? So it, 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 for me, to belong, you have to be able to give yourself. And you have to feel that in giving yourself, you are received wholeheartedly. There are no questions, ifs or buts about who you are, what you are, where you've come from, or the you know the, the motivations. It is that it is a genuine partnership, a genuine relationship or association um, in any place between colleagues you know between you know leaders and employees so my my journey has been um, interesting I, I I always refer to it as interesting because I have learned a lot um, both about myself and about my my world and the the society in which I am and operating And also come to forge some very good allies. And I've made some really good friends. But I've also learned uh, some not so good things about how, you know, people choose to relate or choose not to relate.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it sounds here that um, you worked very hard on, fostering such a belonging environment for yourself so almost spoon feeding right your your leadership team
1: for example how was that for you it was difficult because i i had to foster that environment for myself to actually thrive Um, and i think that was one thing that i i learned very quickly on that if if i wanted to be the very best of me I had to make, the, make it work for me. And sometimes that meant making some very difficult, you know, painful choices and painful decisions or letting uh, some unpleasant behaviors and, and attitudes slide so that I didn't carry the baggage home with me. Um, When I I left work every day, I I took time to sort of reflect on my day and ask myself, what went well? What didn't go well? What could I improve? And what could I just not put any energy into? So that was how I operated for the best part of, you know, 15 years. But then you get to a point where it, it starts to take its toll emotionally because I felt like I had to draw all out of myself to keep that equilibrium, to be in that sort of space where I had to look at situations and say, how could I make the best of this? How would I be able to approach my immediate line manager with uh, suggestions as to how this could go best? for everybody, not just for me. But bearing in mind that um, for some reason or the other, in most teams where I had been working, I was often only one black female. So I, I think it's always interesting initially when you discover that you are the only of whatever. But what very quickly happens is it becomes a very lonely place to be. So as a, a, a woman who was very career driven, very ambitious, and I still am very ambitious and still very driven to find myself in, in, a, in a role or in, in a position where when I look around, I couldn't see anybody who looked like me. An example was being in, in a meeting once and um, something had come up. And we were all as um, uh, team managers being asked to to give our our response to it. And I had said, well, you know, I I believe that we ought to uh, uh, do, you know, respond a, a certain way just because of the reputational risk that it posed and Uh, uh, I was quite surprised when uh, one of the the senior managers there, you know, said, well, you know, I I told you, um, she's a crazy African woman. And I thought, right, I I have to say something here. So I took that as my cue to, to give, you know, a very robust response back, thinking that that would have set the ball in motion to, for a change in, in, in language, a change in culture. But, um, you know, it, it just resulted in, in, in laughter around the table because um, I think the feeling was that, oh, OK, so um, I have indeed uh, responded as, you know, I had been boxed. So after the meeting I decided to to have a you know a, a conversation to say can you tell me what all that was about and then I started to see an a, a emerging pattern you know a culture that i think in a bid to to thrive i had put on you know blinders just refused to to recognize the the danger and the toxicity that I was, you know, operating in, it, it wasn't a healthy work environment, but I desperately wanted to succeed because I knew I was great at my job. So those are some of the burdens that I still see today. And I feel that um, as a minority ethnic woman, we, did, we are, ex, you know, society expects that whatever role you occupy, wherever you are, you ought to be able to hand on heart say you know i feel i belong here but do we really know what we mean by belonging and do we know what that means to different people you know and how do we shape the the work culture and work environment and how do we train and educate and support our leaders to come to that place where leadership is about modeling you know, those behaviours that genuinely grow colleagues, you know, it grows the workplace, it keeps things, you know, everything, you know, equitable and fair. Yes. It's not about position or power. It's not always Mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how then can I support that striving for an equitable culture or a culture where leadership is about, you know, equity and inclusion. So mm-hmm. where everybody's voice is heard, where, you know, the, the the language is, I can bring my authentic self to work. But what is it about my authentic self that I want to bring to work? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I might not want to bring all of me to work. Mm-hmm. But there are certain parts of me I would really love to be able to just be honest and open about at work. Mm-hmm. And it's that that really underpins the whole discourse and conversation of belonging, because if we don't have that opportunity, we can never truly say we belong
0: I have a few questions that are coming up for me the The first one is 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 maybe around what you just shared here. What would be the 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 parts of you that you would you would want to bring more of in your work right now, and what would you need
1: to do so? I think every person, you know, is is dynamic in their own way, mm. uh, and so for me, the part of me that I would most love to bring more of to work is my 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 heritage, you know. My cultural makeup, the part of me that I need to cover when I'm in certain places because I don't exactly, you know, it will not be understood or valued or tolerated. I want to be able to come in as as should do the black British or you know, um, African British woman where my experiences count for something. So uh, I can share my lived experience and not feel shamed by it. I can share my lived experiences uh, and not feel that people have withdrawn Mm. uh, or are withdrawing because they don't get it and don't see why I have to share those particular experiences in the context in which they are shared. Uh, I I want to be able to, you know, I want people to see me. And when they see me, they see my, my talent. They see the value I bring and the value I add. They see the difference that is me. And they appreciate and value that difference. But what happens is I have learned to study my environment and look at them from a viewpoint of how can I ensure that I can adapt myself and the situation to work, you know, Mm -hmm. amicably for both me And whoever or whomever um, I am meant to be meeting or or speaking with, the expectation is oftentimes that I, as a black woman, I have to moderate my emotions. So I can't be overly happy because, you know, I get then, you know, I am deemed too excited and too excitable. I can't be cross, you know, when somebody really offends me because I'm working so hard to not be the angry black woman. So there's there's lots of limitations. I want to be able to laugh, you know, and cry uh, and reach out and people take it that, oh, this is Ashadu, that is who she is, rather than let's read a little bit more into it because... Of what she looks like, or how she sounds uh, when she's upset. So the, the the labels, I think, for me are the, the the bits that really wear me down the most, and that is one in so many things that I really would love to see less of, but more of the value I as me brings Mm. what is it that is different about me that can light up the conversation that Mm. somebody can look at and say I've learned something from you being who you are and us not being the same and I can say the same thing and we both know that we're being very honest about that or those statements that they are genuinely complimentary rather than just gestures to make me or anybody else feel happy with themselves whereas we know you know mm. it's it's just platitudes
0: yeah and i can only imagine the impact the the emotional toll or the the toll that it can have on your maybe overall mental health right so being the one that is always adapting always moderating yourself um not letting your emotions be what they are all the time and maybe even educating others in situations when you are the only one of like you were saying uh only one of a minority group how do you how do you manage (laughs) that
1: (laughs) is there ever any way to manage it I, I think 25 years has taught me a lot. I I have learned now to walk away. So there was a time when, you know, I would actively really seek to engage and to, you know, educate, mm. as you said. Um, mm. But I, I've come to learn that I will engage now when I feel and, and I believe it is worth it you know, engaging and walk away when I just think there is no point because sometimes I have been in situations where you genuinely want to have the conversation to say, why do you think? And it seems to open the door for lots of recriminations where people then think, ah, you are trying to be validated or or uh, be patted on the back for, uh, as someone once said, uh, for being given a chance. And I I took particular offence to that. So I don't ever believe um, now that I owe anybody the time to educate them because we have entered into... Uh, a time and a space and an era where there is so much dialogue, so much conversation, you know, uh, on and off the air with social media, even in, you know, in 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 offices, in businesses, in, in, in organisations globally. There's conversations now around the whole EDI agenda where people genuinely have colleagues that they could engage and interact with. And so I don't believe that there isn't the opportunity for people to to learn. And where, I mean, in in some certain circumstances, I've had people genuinely say, I don't get, you know, what people are uh, upset about. And I do take the time to talk them through and share um, some of my experiences and experiences of others and say, this is why... There is a need to have conversations, not just in closed quarters, but in open spaces. We need to get to that point where we can challenge ourselves by having some difficult mm. conversations that people have shied away from because I don't want to cause offence. Uh, and in more cases, that one, you know, it has gone really well. Uh, And in the odd one, you know, I've had someone absolutely um, not agree because that was not their, their experience or their reality. So they didn't understand what it was I was, you know, talking about. But that is okay. It is just that if you have never experienced what someone else is sharing, you know, it isn't your place to judge. It isn't your place to write it off to say, because I have never experienced it, it it cannot be true because our lived experiences and our stories are so different. there might be similarities, but there are some critical differences in in where we're coming from.
0: Mm-hmm. And what elements do you need to see now in 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 the present? at this point in your career on your personal journey what what elements do you need to see for you to feel that you belong
1: i need to see more empathy more more, more compassionate leadership and by that i mean where you don't necessarily have to have been through the pain but you actually mm-hmm. have a heart willing to learn and understand and listen. I would like to see more honest conversations, you know, more honest dialogue about us and our different levels of of privilege. And, you know, as as a Black woman, uh, I know that I certainly have many or several privileges as do most people, if not everybody, you know, in some shape or form. But sometimes we tend to view our lives versus somebody else and say they have X and I don't have X. But I might not have X, but I do have something that puts me in a better position than somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for me personally, outside of empathy, compassion, honest, frank conversations about how it is we encourage or or promote the idea of belonging right from, you know, so if you take the corporate space now, we look at our recruitment processes. Because for me, that was one area that over the years I came to see as a very first stumbling block. Because When you read where somebody says, I need X, Y, Z, or I'm doing A, B, C, D. And so if you are the uh, candidate, we would like to hear from you. It takes some level of real courage and confidence to look at something somebody else has written and say, that is me, and they don't know you. So we, we go from there right through to all the process of, you know, uh, the interview stage, your onboarding stage, you know, your probation period, performance management, whatever you want to call it, right through to access or opportunities for promotion. How are we ensuring that people can see themselves in each of these stages and actually feel that that stage is designed for me to thrive? for me to show up as my best self rather than yeah. you come away thinking that I, there was no chance of me ever getting through that because I, I couldn't I couldn't see me in anything that was said there. So when we, we, we want to start to look at, or when I personally start to look at the sort of things that I want to see more of, that is one area because that is one, one, one area that really impacted on, on how my career has gone and why I've chosen to do things the way I, I have done them. But sometimes at some real serious cost and pain to myself because I, I just had to look for opportunities to showcase myself. And they were not always readily there, and if they were there, you know there was something that didn't quite fit or I didn't you know. So we, we have to be yeah. looking at our our processes, our, our our strategies and our policies and whatever we, we you know we, we choose to call them, all of our procedures, and asking the question, how do we make people feel they belong? at in at this stage to move on to the next.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ashidi, for sharing your, your story and also the pain points and challenges, right, that allowed you to to be where where you're at today. But I really wanna thank you so much for being on the podcast, um, sharing your your journey and like I was saying, the the challenges, the pain points on this platform with us. I I I hear a lot of kind of you know anchorness right being grounded in the present and you talked about um, having open conversation more open conversation around different levels of privilege and there's there's a sense of reality I feel like you're there's a lot that you're trying to do there's a lot that you are doing right um, and that takes so much energy and at the same time. Um, there's this sense of reality and you're able to preserve yourself yeah. right to to keep also <laughs> that that balance of like okay let's 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 help let's make things kind of progress and better but at the same time keeping well not losing yourself yes. right because it's about just-
1: ensuring that i don't lose myself um, and and I've, I've learned to network more than i ever did Uh, Because I have come to understand that the the power of networks and the power of networking and how that for somebody like myself can, you know, lend itself to lots of interesting conversations that I have found very beneficial. It's, It's not always something that, again, when people think about belonging, you don't tend to think of networking as one way. To belong, but it for me, I have found that it has been one of the many ways that um, I have felt like I belonged because it's opened up and given me the opportunity to share my story, to connect with people who I wouldn't otherwise connect with, and for them to learn from me, or you know, or, or, or similar stories to mine. And use that as a lever to start to initiate changes in their own spaces, because then there is a natural uh, uh, trajectory or, or reality point. So I have um, benefited, you know, from 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 that, and I think it's not something that we're growing up. Um, I wasn't uh, uh, encouraged um, because it just wasn't one of those things you you did traditionally or culturally. But yeah. having gotten to this point now, where I am so keen and and passionate about the leadership space, um, and but making it more inclusive and more accessible, mm-hmm. networking has helped me to you know deliver.
0: the message as it were yeah yeah thank you thank you so much you You can follow the podcast on linkedin at the belonging project podcast you can also hit subscribe and stay up to date with our episodes and do feel free to get in touch with me on coaching at fiorancercini.com thank you again and see you next time